Open up your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Luke. If you're still learning your way around the Bible, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. The Old Testament starts with Genesis, and the New Testament starts with Matthew, and Luke is in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke was a physician that uh, became a Christian, and so he interviewed personally eyewitnesses. He had a friend named Theophilus that he wanted to share the gospel with so that he could be sure that what he believed, he even started it with that. I uh, started the book of Acts with that too. And so, um, and so in Luke chapter 1, uh, we're going to look at Advent. And again, like I said before, it means coming. And each week there's a different word. And the, the word for this week in Advent is hope. Everybody say hope. Now you think about hope and how powerful it is. It is such a powerful thing. And, and we think about the coming of Jesus. It, it's, th it's three seasons or three ways. One is, is when Jesus first came to the earth. And, for this, and we celebrate it in this time of year in the Christmas season. You know, I believe you know that his birthday was not on December 25th. But we wanted to set aside a day. The church decided years ago to set aside a day that we could celebrate and recognize his birth. So a lot of times, you know, I think we can get real hung up and caught up on like, well, that's not even the day he was born. Oh, okay, you're right, yeah, so, okay, yeah. take a cookie and go on. So anyway, um, um, <laughs> I wasn't this way in the first service, just so you know. Anyway, so, but, but we did the, you know, the church thought it was appropriate. I wasn't there. I keep saying we, like I was making that decision several centuries ago, and so, but uh, that it was, you know, and I, and I tend to agree with that. If you don't, that's okay. I mean, Scrooge, but uh, the thing, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, if you don't, that's okay. But anyway, that, so that was the purpose of it. But, but the word hope is celebrating, there was a hope of an expectation. Hope is about expectation that God was coming. And so he did, he came in the flesh. And then the second part of that is that he comes in our life, he lives in our life daily. And then the third uh, expression of that is that someday we believe in the church that Jesus is coming again, and that should be a time of expectation and anticipation for us as well. And so hope is so powerful. I, I thought this was really good. I stumbled upon this, and it was a study. Let me read this to you. That, um, uh, that during a study at Harvard in the 1950s, Dr. Kurt Richter placed rats in a pool of water to test how long they could tread water. So you get that, he puts all these rats there, they're going to see how long they can tread water. By the way, never let me be in one of those experiments, it'll be like 20 seconds. Like, okay, yeah, I rescue this guy. So anyway, so um, on average, the rats would give up and sink after 15 minutes. So they could tread water about 15 minutes, give up and sink. But, night, uh, but right before they gave up due to exhaustion, the researchers would pluck them out, dry them off, let them rest for a few minutes, and put them back in for a second round. So it's like... You just thought you were saved, here you go again. But it's interesting, it says in the second try, now don't answer this out loud, but think about it in your mind, how long do you think they lasted? But you know, some people say, you know, they, they, remember they just swam until failure only a few short minutes earlier. So, you know, you know some people may go oh, another 15 minutes, some people might say 10 minutes, five minutes, and actually none of those were even close, they actually lasted 60 hours. 60 hours, and it says that, you know, it says that that's not an error. That's right, 60 hours of swimming. The conclusion was drawn was that since the rats believed that they would eventually be rescued, they could push their bodies way past what they previously thought impossible. So they wanted to leave us with this thought. 
If hope can cause exhausted rats to swim for that long, what could a belief in God and what he can do for you, what, what could that do for you? And remember, he created you and he loves you. So don't give up, keep swimming. There's just something powerful about hope, isn't there? I mean, we've li- you know, if you've lived long enough, you've had seasons probably where you felt hopeless. And then you've had other seasons where you felt hopeful. And it's not always dependent or based entirely or solely upon our circumstances. I say this like every week during the Christmas season and sometimes during weeks that aren't Christmas season, but I just, it's sometimes just to acknowledge that, just to know that people are aware and that you're not alone in this. Again, that this holiday season, it amplifies the things in our life. You know, again, if things are good, it amplifies that. Man, it's easy to be joyful, happy, and all that kind of stuff. Thank you. And so, um, clearly my coughing is getting on her nerves. But anyway, uh, <laughs> um, but it amplifies that. And if we're going through a hard time, you know, it amplifies that as well. And so, uh, you know, it's just, it's just such a unique season. And I th- again, I think it's right that the church, most of all, celebrates this season best because we understand it best. Now, I, I love, I, you know, I'm not, I love all the other things that, that come with it. But I, I do think we need to be careful that we don't mask the reality of this season and make sure, and, and it ends up being covered up by the other stuff. I'm not saying do away the other stuff. But just in the middle of it, I, I want to make sure that the thing that matters most, the reason for the season, is what's celebrated more than anything else and who he is. And, and so, so hope is such a powerful thing. So, so why does Advent, why does knowing his coming what is it about that that gives us hope? Well, let's look here first of all in Luke chapter 1. And this is part of the account. It was one of the written accounts of the birth of Jesus during that season. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, had just been visited by the, by the angel Gabriel, and he had told her what was going to happen. So, in Luke, so she goes and visits her aunt Elizabeth. Elizabeth was her aunt. It was her mother's sister. And she was pregnant at the time, too, with John the Baptist. And so in Luke chapter 1, verse 39, it says this, A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. That was Elizabeth's husband, John the Baptist's father, Zechariah. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leapt within her. There was a baby in her, and the baby leapt within her. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. It wasn't just you're blessed because the Lord said some things about you. You're blessed because you believe it. That's where the believing is. So she, so she said, you believe, and then Mary responded, oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he took notice. Everybody say took notice. She rejoiced. She's like, he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. 
He took notice of me. One of the reasons why Advent gives us hope, a reminder that Jesus came and that when we trust in him and give our lives to him and make Jesus Lord of our life, that he lives in our heart daily and that he's coming again is that it reminds us that he notices us, that he notices you. You know, one of the great challenges in life is there's a few things. One is in this area is that to feel unnoticed. You know, Mary described herself with this, that she said, he took notice of not of some queen somewhere, not of some person that had won a beauty pageant. And let me tell you something. God loves the queens in this earth. He loves the beauty pageant winners, but not just them. He said of his lowly servant girl, you know, in other words, she, in other words, if she were to describe herself, she would say this, I just feel common. I don't stand out. I'm just kind of like everybody else. It's real easy to miss me. I mean, if I were to ask in here who's ever felt that way, I would dare say that the majority of you, maybe all of us have felt that way at times. I always kind of felt that way. I remember, you know, in high school, I have great experiences. I'm a Claremore grad and, you know, lived in Vertigris at that time. It only went up to the eighth grade. I decided to continue my education by seeking my high school diploma. And so ended up going to Claremore and uh, it was just a great experience. But, you know, I never viewed myself as the guy that kind of stood out. And I remember in my sophomore year, I was, you know, I was raised in, uh, you know, a house that like, you know, played sports and stuff like that. And you're like, another sports analogy? Only during um, uh, months that end in Y. And so... Um, uh, that was kind of a joke. But anyway, so, uh, I, I, you know, I, and so I wasn't the biggest guy on the team, and I wasn't um, the fastest guy on the team or anything like that. I mean, I was just kind of a guy that showed up and that kind of thing. You may not notice. And, you know, I mean, a lot of times when the coach was talking to me, my sophomore year, the line coach, he'd have to look, we had tape on our helmets. And some guys, after the first day, could have taken their tape off. I was like in October, and he's still like, okay, Burke. Uh, so, I mean, he was, he was looking at it. And I was, uh, <laughs> and so I was, uh, you know, just, you know, I knew that he was in charge of fellowship of Christian athletes and I was going to church, you know, uh, claimed to be a Christian. You may not have known that at that time, but I claimed to be a Christian. And so I thought I'm going to go to fellowship of Christian athletes, FCA, because that guy's going to know my name. And so, um, I would show up and, you know, I didn't wear the show up first with this piece of tape on my head. No, I didn't do that, but I showed up. But again, it wasn't, it wasn't my, my reasons weren't noble. They weren't noble. It was just because I felt unnoticed and I wanted to be noticed. Now, here's the goodness of God. He used that season and that moment, even when it started out that I had the wrong reasons, he still uses it as an opportunity to gain access to my life. I'm just so grateful for Jesus. Aren't you? And so Mary said he took, he took notice of me took notice of me. You know, it's very hard when you're in a place you can feel unnoticed, unseen. In 2005, my mom and dad had just celebrated their 50th anniversary, and, and uh, a few months later, I'm getting ready to do a wedding. We lived, Tina and I, and the kids still lived in New Mexico, even though I'm from here. And I was getting ready to do a, a wedding that day, and I got a call, and I think it was my mom, and she said, hey, look, we've had to take your dad to the hospital. He'd been having some heart issues for a number of years, and they kind of progressively gotten worse. And she said, um, hey, we're having to take, you, we had to take your dad to the hospital. We think he's had a heart attack. We think, we think he's going to be okay. Well, I don't care, man. I mean, if it's your dad and he's had a heart attack, you're like, you know, so I couldn't leave. I had that wedding, and I said, Mom, I got a wedding to do tonight, but I, tomorrow, tomorrow morning, as soon as I'll, I'll hop in the car. If you need me tonight, I'll drive. So the wedding's over. I'll drive there. So I'll drive. She said, oh, we're good. So 
So the next day I got up and I drove, you know, just as fast as I could back to Oklahoma, you know, to see him. And he was in good spirits and we talked. And, um, they, and the doctor, I talked with the doctor for a few days, said, we're going to do bypass on him. And so, um, and so he said, I, I feel pretty good about the chances of that type of thing. Well, make a long story short, it, you know, he didn't come out on the other side okay. It was just, you know, just some things happened. There's illness, neglect and that kind of thing in the, in the hospital, just, which is not typical, but it was just one of those things. And so I was, for the next few months, I was driving back and forth every week. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm an only child. They're my parents. That, that's what you do, right? I mean, they're our, they're our parents. So, you know, I would do that. I, I got to tell you, someplace in there, there was kind of this weariness because it just, my mom was, had, was a year into Alzheimer's. And so I'm, I'm trying to make sure that she's okay. And my dad's, he's in and out of ICU. He's in the hospital in long-term care and out of ICU. And so I'm trying to make sure that he's okay. And just, just the weight of not knowing what to do, the weight of kind of, because I have any siblings to share it with, of just, just feeling alone. And so I remember um, I was in the hospital one day and my mom was in a chair and, and I'm sitting there. My dad, at that point, he's, he's on a, a respirator. And so, you know, she had the sound of the machine, that kind of thing. And I hear these steps coming. And in walks this minister that I'd known for years and used to be connected with more so. He and his wife came. We had not been connected in years and our relationship had kind of drifted. And he shows up. And it was just one of those, it was such an unexpected thing. And man, it just moved me. I, I remember I, I couldn't even like, you know, contain my emotions. And so, you know, when they left, I just, it was just kind of like, it was like a, it was like God kind of winking at me, kind of like saying, I see you. I see you. That's a hard thing about being in a place where there's struggle, right? That's the hard thing about being in a place where just, it's just challenging. What, whatever it is that's going on in your world, sometimes it just can, it can be weighty upon us and we can feel unseen. There was a, a lady in the Old Testament, her name was Hagar, and she had a baby and she was... Uh, the handmaiden of Sarah. And um, Sarah became jealous of her, and so she sent her away, and she was out in the wilderness. And the, the Lord sent a message to her. And she named that place, I think it, uh, I'm probably killing the pronunciation, but like El Roy, which means the God who sees. It was, she called him the God who sees. And then she even says, this, it, it, the Lord who sees me. And one thing about hope is that the reason why we think about Jesus coming for the first time, it reminds us that God sees us, that he saw humanity as a whole and how broken humanity is without him. And he wasn't indifferent to it. He saw it. And there's an element of comfort in that when we talk about just all of us. But, but sometimes it's good to know that, but it's even better to know, and I'll say this, he sees you. Whatever season you're in, whatever sense of hopelessness that you felt where you've wanted to quit swimming, 
that the thought that he sees you. He's not just a fan wandering and watching about the outcome. He sees you. Number one is this, is that Advent gives us hope because God lets us know that he sees us, that he sees us. Look at number two, if you would go with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter one. You're in Luke, and like two books before that is Matthew, before Luke is Mark, and before that is Matthew. And this is another account of the birth of Jesus. Matthew chapter one. Verse 18. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 says, This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while he was still a virgin, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant with the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man. Everybody say righteous man. And he was, another translation says good man. Was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. So I, every year we do Christmas, I got to do this as a side thought because I don't think he gets near as due in this situation. But again, understand that Mary and Joseph, because a lot of times we read these things, and because at some point you were probably some character in a Christmas play at your church where your parents drug you down there and made you be a part of it, that we know the outcome of this, so we take it for granted. But if we just try to stay in the moment and understand that this guy was engaged to her, and he had done right, and she's pregnant, and he knows that it's not his. And especially in the culture of their day, there would be an element of shame, not just cast upon her, but cast upon him too for taking advantage of her. Your first thought would be one thing to defend yourself and your reputation, right? And the only way to do that is to expose her. But he didn't. Then he had right by the law to not just expose her, but not only had she risked his reputation, but because of what he thought had happened, she had betrayed him. And what do we do when people betray us? Well, we give ourselves a lot of justification in how we respond to it. It doesn't say that Joseph said anything. It just said because he was a righteous man or a good man, he just said, we're not going to expose her. We're going to do this privately. I mean, it makes sense why, G, why the father would say, I want this man to be the one that raises my son. Makes sense, right? Because that's not typically my response when I feel betrayed, taken advantage of, used. But it goes on to say here, it says, Joseph, whom she was engaged, was a righteous man, did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through, the, through his prophet. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Say God with us. Say God with me. So in other words, that the promise was, was that, that, you know, he's coming, 
And he said, it's not just God giving us advice. Hey, try this now. Hey, do this now. No, no, no. That it's God with us. That his presence shows up. That he's with us. And so one of the reasons why Advent is so powerful and it gives us hope is that it's in this season God shows us that his presence is the answer to our problems. That whatever you're going through right now, whatever situation you're going through, that you weren't meant to go through it without him. And that the answer, the real answer to the solution of that is Jesus. That his presence is the answer for that. That it's Emmanuel, God is with us. God showed up in the middle of, you know, my acts of betrayal towards him. In the middle of my sin personally. That he showed up for that. And then in all the things that go beyond that, that he's with us, that he's with you, and that he's with me. To have that understanding that, that he showed up to be a part of that. God's with us. We have a hope that Advent, that his coming brings hope because it's a reminder that he came the first time because he saw us. He saw me, and, the, and he also, that he showed up to let me know that all of the sacrifices in the world, all of the regret in the world, all of the guilt in the world, none of that was adequate enough to bring about forgiveness, that the only way that my life could be redeemed and resurrected from the sin and brokenness that I'd experienced because of what had taken place in all of humanity is Jesus, that he's the only one that can rescue us from that. And then as we live our life and the things that we go to, go through, the things you're dealing with right now, maybe you're dealing with health issues or money issues or relationship issues or emotional issues, that you were never intended to go through those things and walk through those things alone by yourself. I love Psalm 23. You know, many of you are familiar with it. It starts out with this, that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then in the middle of it, it says this, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. But then it tells us why. I will fear no evil because you're with me. You're with me. I know here today, man, some of you, again, like I said, some of you just, the issues in your life, they didn't start during the season, but they were going on and we're in this season now and they're amplified. The weight of it, the pressure of it is just so heavy upon you. And you can just, again, you can feel unseen, unnoticed. Advent tells you that he sees you. But it also tells you that he intends for you to go through this alone, that he's with you, that you need him, that you need to invite him to be a part of that. He needs to have access to this area. He needs to have access to your marriage. He needs to have access to the things you're dealing with physically. He needs to have access to your financial issues and for the places that you've carried, wounds that you've carried for years that birth maybe some of the addictions that you deal with or some of the emotions that you struggle with were birthed because when you were little, you had this wound and you didn't know how to respond to it, so you just tried to mask it with other things. And it was inadequate. Only Jesus. I'm going to read an account to you here, and you don't have to turn there. Uh, you can if you want to. It's in John 6. In John 6, verse 16, it says this, that evening, Jesus' disciples went down to the shore to wait for him. Everybody say, wait for him. So they went down there to wait for him. And it says this, that, but as darkness fell and Jesus still hadn't come back, they got into the boat and headed across the lake toward Capernaum. Now, we don't know why. I don't know if he'd send a note saying, yep, you guys go ahead, or if they'd just gotten impatient. Have you ever gotten impatient waiting for God before? I'm going to raise my hand. I'm going to raise this hand. 
You know, if I come up here, have somebody pick me up so I can raise both. I mean, I've gotten impatient waiting on him before. Like, I get so excited. God deals with me. He speaks to me. And I'm like, okay, man, praise God. This is awesome. And then it's like, after a while, it's like, when? Have you seen the calendar? Have you, have you seen me? I've had a few more birthdays passed since you told me last time. I get, I've gotten impatient before. Have you ever gotten impatient with God? And then sometimes, man, we get impatient with him. We just kind of, hey, I'm just going to kind of go. I'll, I'll see you when you, you'll show up, right? You'll, you'll be there at some time, God. I mean, and so I get, I get tired of, of waiting for him. And so I go. And, and so they take off, and it says this, that they got on the boat and headed across the lake toward Capernaum. Soon a gale swept down upon them, and the sea grew very rough. They had rowed three or four miles when suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water toward the boat. They were terrified, but he called out to them, don't be afraid, I'm here. The King James says this, I think he says this, like, it, it is I. It's me. I'm, I'm who you need in this storm, in this right now. And he goes on to say this. Then they were eager to let him into the boat. They were, they were terrified, but he called them, don't be afraid, I'm here. Then they were eager. I'm sure they were like, oh, it's you? Get in this boat right now. It says, they were eager to let him in the boat, and immediately they arrived at their destination. So sometimes, man, I get in a hurry, and I just kind of take off without him. Now, I know he's with us, but I get ahead of him. I get impatient. There's still more he wants to do here in this place, more in me. And I have to be reminded that he sees me and that wherever I go, I, I'm not intended to do it without him, that, that he wants to go with me. He wants to be a part of it. And I need him to be a part of it. My desire is, is that we, you know, one of the, the word this year is presence that God has given us as a church. And I heard somebody say this a while back, man, it's just resonated with me that even in our services, I want the presence of God to clearly be a part of it. I want it to not just appear and experience it here, but with our kids, to them experience God's presence, with our students on Wednesday nights, and, and even in our pre-K as much as they can understand, I, you know, so that someday when our kids grow up, that they can talk about the church that they were in, that they were a part of, that they remember experiencing the presence of God and what that's like. And so we want to see that. We want to experience that for them. But Advent shows us that the answer to anything that I'm going through is Jesus. And any answer that doesn't include him is not sufficient. Because I've discovered this, that there'll be things that we go through that at some point my resources aren't enough. My strength isn't enough. The relationships I know, they're not enough. That I've done everything that I can do. I've expended everything that I have, taken advantage of everything that's at my disposal. And it's still not enough. And that the only way through this is with Jesus. Have you, have you invited him to be a part of what you're dealing with? And I mean, it's part of it is like, God, help me. But there's another part of it is, God, show me what to do. What is it you're doing in me? What does you want to do through me? What, what work are you trying to do in this? And so when we begin to realize that, that he's not indifferent, that he sees us, that he took notice of you, and now he's like, look, all of these things that you're trying to do, all this effort that you're putting forth, that's not it, it's me. That's what you need. That Jesus shows up when the storm's going on, and, and even in those moments where we, maybe we should have waited. And now because we didn't wait, we're in the middle of this thing going on. 
And I've done every, I've rowed as hard as I could, man. I've looked to the people next to me, maybe even blamed, like, will you row harder? And then Jesus shows up in the middle of the storm, and I'm like, oh, no, what is that? And he goes, it's me. And to be like them, it's like, they're like, I love how they put this here. Is that when he did that, it says, when he called out of them, don't be afraid, I'm here. They were eager to let him in the boat. I've been eager before, like, I'm so glad you showed up. Will you get in here? And so Advent is that. It brings hope because it shows us that his presence is the answer to our problem, that when humanity was broken and lost, it wasn't another sacrifice. It wasn't another rule they had to follow. It wasn't another religious system that God himself had to show up in human flesh, and Jesus came to the earth, and all of my efforts meant nothing because the answer to the problem of sin in my life is Jesus. And so we had that reality that we experienced. Let's look at number three, and we'll close with this. Go with me, if you would, to Mark 13. It's Mark is the book um, right after Matthew. Matthew, then Mark. Now, Jesus is talking here, and, you know, one of the things, again, when we think about Jesus, that, that he, he came, that this season is a celebration of his first coming. And then also, we celebrate the fact now that we're living in the season of his living in our lives, but there's also an expectation and anticipation that he's coming again. You know, the early church, man, there were, there were three messages that were, pretty, that were pretty prevalent. One is, is the cross and the crucifixion of Jesus. Two is, is the resurrection of Jesus. But there was another part of their message that, that we've kind of let slip away, and I, I've been guilty of it too, and that is they lived with an anticipation that Jesus is coming back, that he's coming again, that there's, there's another coming that takes place. And they lived with that. And Jesus, in one, of his, in one of his parables, he said this, however, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows, and since you don't know when that time will come, be on guard. Everybody say, be on guard. Stay alert. The coming of the Son of Man can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. When he left home, he gave each of his slaves instructions about the work they were to do. And he told the gatekeeper to watch for his return. Watch for his return. Then Jesus said this, you too must keep watch. For you don't know when the master of the household will return. In the evening, at midnight, before dawn, or at daybreak. Don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. I say to you what I say to everyone, watch for him. So this is Jesus, and when you look at the parables over and over again, not every time, but a lot of the times, his parables, the theme of them were, stay ready. Stay ready, live with anticipation that Jesus may come back today. If you're taking notes, number three is this, is that God tells us to live in anticipation, to live in anticipation. How would we live differently? What would we do differently if we lived this way? If I lived with the thought of this may be the day that Jesus returns, how would it impact my life? Where would I spend my time? What would I do with my resources? How would I behave in my relationships? How would I act in my marriage and with my kids? What would I do in all of those things? I mean, it would impact us, right? I heard somebody say this. I think it's so good that, that we should plan as if the Lord's not coming back in our lifetime, but we should live as if he's coming back today. 
And so to live with that anticipation, that expectation that Jesus is coming back. Jesus said to be alert, to be ready. And I, and I think letting this message kind of slip through our churches today, and again, I've been guilty of it too, does us an injustice. There's something about having a readiness to watch for his return. To say, look, there are things he's called me to do. I want to be about his business because today may be the day that he comes back. And so it gives me a hope. It, helps, it reminds me that none of this is permanent. That as painful as it is, because of Jesus, when we put our trust and our confidence in him, that none of that is permanent either. That there's a hope that's attached to it. That allows me to keep swimming when I feel exhausted or wearied or weighted down. That because of that hope that Jesus has, that he's coming again. It encourages me and gives me strength. It holds my behavior accountable. It gives me a message to share with those that I love to give them hope as well. It allows me to persevere and endure because I know that as, as hard as this is right now, that God sees me and that his presence is the thing that I need more than anything else in this moment. And that I can live with the anticipation and expectation that he's coming back and that there's more than just this. I have hope. In 2005, when I spent the first Christmas without my dad, it was painful. But I had hope I'll see him again. There have been times with everything that God's called me to do as a person, that there's always been a price that comes with it. There's always been a growing. There's always been a persecution. There's always been a misunderstanding. There's always been a disappointing. There's always been failure on my part. But in all of that, swimming in all of that, there's always been hope. Because I've learned over time through experience that Jesus has seen me in every one of those things. And when I would get untangled with all of this stuff going on and just have an awareness that he's with me. And that he's coming again. That there was the anticipation that it allowed me to live with. But this isn't permanent. It's not final. It doesn't have the last say. So that's why we have hope during this season. Christmas is a reminder of that. It's a reminder of what takes place in our life. It's why you can live in hope right now with whatever you're dealing with. I want you to do this. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. Now, I just want to pray over you. I mean, for all of you. But again, especially for those of you that the things in your world right now, that this, the holidays are kind of painful for you. I, I really want you just as, as much as you can to, to not let the pain steal your distraction. But let it help you focus on the fact right now that he sees you. He's not just watching, just wondering how it will turn out, but he wants to be a part of this with you. He's not, he's not looking at you saying, well, fix yourself. He's not saying that. It's like, give me access. Let me help you through this. To be a reminder that there's more than this. 
There's more than this. Father, I, I just love the people I go to church with. God, I, I know, I pray for everyone here. Lord, I know that you see them. I know that you love them, that you take notice. No matter how common they may feel, how unnoticed, how invisible they may feel, you see them, you take notice of it. Lord, just help them in this moment. Let your presence be evident and obvious. Let them feel it. Experience it. Sense it. Lord, let them live with an anticipation that today may be the day. Could be the day. And that's not a bad thing. It's not something to regret or grieve or live with anxiety about. It should be something that brings joy into our life. So we thank you for it, Father. Let's just take a moment. Just take a moment. And just be with God. Just talk to him for just a minute. I'll be quiet for a minute and give you an opportunity to connect with him.